Well, friends, it's worth the freaks just to get the mask off. <laughs> At least you can see it now because everywhere the mask, your glasses steam up and you can see nothing. Just before I share God's word with you, I have four books here. Live the life that Jesus lived. Uh, I wrote this book uh, last year. Well, let's say I finished it off last year. And uh, uh, they're free. There's no price on them. Um, it was written so that uh, we could raise some money for Project Romania. Some people donate towards Project Romania. That's fine. If they don't, that's not a problem. The main thing is that you get the message of the book, which is to live the life Jesus lived. So there's four here. Whoever wants them can have them. Uh, I have more at home, and if anybody else, hey, that's all right, hey, you get one. Uh, anybody else wants them, uh, I can bring more next week, so they're here for you. That's basically a devotional. You can use it as a devotional if you want, uh, or you can read right through it, and uh, I trust that if you do read it, that you'll be encouraged and blessed by it. You know, uh, Gary was saying in his prayer about uh, the young people uh, this past week getting their exam results. Some got good results and some didn't. But, uh, you know, whenever I was doing my GCSEs and, uh, well, they were called O-levels in those days, so that gives you a rough idea what age you are. But uh, whenever I was doing my O-levels in those days, one of my favourite subjects was history. I don't know whose favourite subject history is here, but... I loved history. I know Graham does too. So Graham, you might be correcting me now and again. But in 1603, James VI of Scotland became James I of England. And whenever he was in Scotland, he was very much uh, on the side of the Presbyterians in those days. And then whenever he moved down to England, uh, he wanted to take control of the Church of England. And, uh, of course, in those days, there was the nonconformists and the Puritans and different groups like this here. And so in 1604, there was a Hampton Court Conference, and he was trying to change some of the things within the church. And some of the Puritans in the Church of England, they didn't like that. And so you got a group growing up called the Separatists. And the Separatists are saying they moved to um, Holland because of the oppression that James I uh, had over the whole country. You see, James I, he was an absolutist. He wanted to, to rule the church and he wanted to rule the country with an iron hand. And this is the time of the gun plot, you know, the House of Parliament gun plot, all this sort of stuff. But anyway, these separatists, they moved to Holland and they stayed there for a short time and then they prepared to go to America. And so in September 1620, the Mayflower sailed to America uh, and they landed in um, Plymouth, Massachusetts. They were known as the Pilgrim Fathers. And these Pilgrim Fathers, they want to preserve not only their own heritage, their English heritage, but they also want to preserve their faith, their faith as well. Believers. Their persistence, their determination, and their desire, their true vision and burden enabled them to establish uh, the religious freedom and also create uh, the foundations of the democracy that America now enjoys. Now, in a small sense, friends, we are pilgrims. We are pilgrims. We're traveling through this world. Some of us are traveling a physical journey. 
Others are traveling a physical and a spiritual journey. Where are we going to end up? What is going to be our end state? I'm sure all of you will agree with me that uh, life is not always easy. The road is not always smooth, not always level. You come across many rough times, hard times, difficult times. And said the, the life we travel is so often bumpy with the hills, high hills and the steep valleys. And in our experiences we all have our ups and downs. We have our ins and outs, we have our faith and doubt, we have our fears and courage, we have our strength and weaknesses, our happy and sad, our health and our sickness, our smart and our dumb our generous and our selfishness. We're all like the waves of the sea that ebb and, and tide, ebb and flow. One minute we're flying high in the wings of faith. The next minute we're down in the valley floor because of defeat through temptation or trial or trouble that comes into our lives or into our family, into the home. And so whenever I think of life, I think that there are three basic things that each of us need. Three basic things. And those three basic things lead to something else. First of all, we need security. All of us want security. We want to know that we are safe. We want to know that we have enough money in our pocket to face today. We want to know we have a roof over our head that we are safe from the elements around us. We all need security. The second thing I believe that we all need is stability. A lot of us don't like change. We don't like change in the home. We don't like change in the church. And yet, friends, life is all about growth. And as you grow, you develop, you mature. So there is that sort of change that we have to accept. But we always like stability. We only want growth in our own time and so often on our own terms. And then the third thing that we all need, I believe, is strength. Strength to face today. Strength to face those trials, those troubles, those problems. And those three things, security, stability and strength, they lead to peace in your heart. Peace with yourself and peace with those around you. So remember that. Those are the three things that leads to peace. Now this morning I want to read Psalm 121. I love this psalm. This is what it says. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in 
from this time forth and even forevermore. Now I said this morning that uh, just like the Pilgrim Fathers sailed to America, we too are like pilgrims travelling on our journey. And Psalm 121 is known as the Traveller's Psalm because it was sung by the pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem for the three main feasts that the Jewish people uh, celebrated. That was Pentecost and uh, Passover and also Tabernacles. Three times a year. And the people, they sang this psalm. They could have sang it as they were travelling through the land, but mostly uh, the commentators say that they sang this psalm as they were climbing up the steps up to where the temple was in Jerusalem. So it really doesn't matter where exactly they were, they used this psalm as an encouragement as they travelled. And while travelling they faced many obstacles, slips and slides, rough weather, robbers. There was no easy jet or was there in those days to get them there and safety. They had to go by foot or they had to go by donkey. And there was no Jerusalem Express train or, there, or no M2 or M1. The, rough, the road was rough. But they travelled it because they were determined to go and meet with God at the temple. Does that again not speak of our own lives, friends? We're travelling pilgrims through this world. Some days our journey is sweet. Some days our journey is bitter. Some days our journey is good. Some days our journey is bad. Some days we're sailing along and all of a sudden, bang, something terrible just touches our lives and crushes our spirits. You know, David Livingstone, when he travelled to Africa in the 1840s, this was his favourite psalm, Psalm 121. And he used that psalm to encourage himself. And it's amazing and it's encouraging how this psalm can speak into our hearts and into our lives in tough times. And times when the going is hard. In fact, Psalm 121 is like a running, it's an Old Testament running commentary of the New Testament truth found in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5. Where it speaks of God's care for our lives. Peter says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you hear that, friends? Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. If you're a child of God this morning, you're in God's hand. You're under God's power. You are kept as you trust him unto salvation. So let's look at this psalm and see exactly what it says. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made the heaven and the earth. 
We see here an amazing declaration. A declaration. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. The writer of this psalm was not afraid to declare his need. He knew he had a need and he was willing to declare that need. Is that us, friends? Do we bottle up all the trouble and all the problem in our lives and try to sort it out ourselves? Or do we look unto the Lord our God and talk to him about our problems, about our needs? Do we go to another brother or another sister that we know that we can trust and share with them the difficulty that we are facing and do we ask them to pray? That they might support you in prayer. You know on a Wednesday night we've been sharing recently. Uh, about a couple who came to Linda myself. Well actually they, they sent a message through my daughters. Uh, to ask them to pray. And this couple is a, they're a Catholic couple. And they run the pharmacy down certain main road. And Melissa she sent words to her daughter and she says, we know you're, you're religious people, you're holy people. We know you're a praying people and we want you to pray for my husband, Paul, who's got cancer in the pancreas. And so we began praying every day for Paul and for Melissa as well. And then one Saturday morning I called down to see her and while I was there in the shop, I just prayed with her there in the shop and with her shop assistant as well. You might have seen a thing in the news uh, last week or maybe two weeks now where Melissa was interviewed on the television, uh, I think it was BBC maybe, uh, about how Paul was to go forward for cancer surgery and how the, the surgery was cancelled. And so I went down to her and I was praying with her again in the shop and I said, Melissa, will just pray that God will either heal Paul uh, miraculously or else she'll get that, that uh, surgery and all be well. And uh, she continued to ask us for prayer. So I went down last uh, Wednesday and she says, Paul has had his surgery. I says, that is fantastic. How God works and answers prayer. I rung her on Thursday and I says, well, how's Paul doing? We're still praying for him. She says, he had his operation on Tuesday. He was out of, out of surgery about half two, three o'clock. And this morning he's up walking around the ward. And better still, the surgeon said they've got all the cancer out and they're more than happy with uh, the surgery. And he's doing really, really well. And he just says, Melissa, God can heal the body, but he can also heal the soul. We're praying for you and for, for Paul's salvation. So pray for that couple, friends. But you see, what I'm saying is, there was an unsaved couple asking for prayer. There's an unsaved couple who still had the faith to believe that God could intervene in their circumstances and situations. And yet sometimes, friends, us as Christians, we're afraid to ask for prayer. We're afraid to share our problem or difficulty. And all the time, God is wanting you to come and say, my child, what can I do for you? My child, what can I do for you?
You see, friend, he knows you by name. He knows your heart. He sees your difficulty. He just wants you to admit it, confess it, and ask for his help. You know, when I was growing up, it used to be the generation of the stiff upper lip. I'm sure you've heard that old expression, the stiff upper lip. I can handle anything myself. I can do, I can sort out my own problems, my own difficulties. But you know, friends, there's no shame in confessing that you need help. There's no shame in it. Because we're all human. And sooner or later we will need that help. If you're willing to admit it. If you're willing to confess it. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with each other. And above all we have to be honest with God. Now in this declaration that is made. We see a decision. I have lifted up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now this decision, friends, lifting up his eyes unto the hills, it was personal. He said, I, I. Your difficulties, your problems, they're personal to you. But God wants you to share them with him so that he can give you strength, he can give you grace, he can give you courage to deal with those problems. And God will deal with those problems in one of two ways. He will remove the problem or he'll carry you through the problem. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Cast all your care upon me, for I care for you. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do you know that your name is engraved in the hands of Jesus? That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. And that's how much he wants to share his life with your life. So this decision that this writer makes, it's personal, it is I. But secondly, it is deliberate. He makes a deliberate decision. He says, I will. I will do it. And we also see a direction. Onto the hills. You see, friends, it's very, very important that you direct your cry to the right place. To the right place. So often we look for help in all the wrong places. And so often because we look in the wrong places, we get the wrong results. Some people turn to the bottle. They end up an alcoholic. Did that cure their problem? No. It only compounded it. Some people turn to drugs. Will that help their problem? No. It will only compound it. It will only add to their problems and crush them and push them further and further and further down. And then they struggle with life. 
You see, man's fundamental problem in life is a separation from God and his pride and his failure to admit it. Separation from God and our pride and our failure to admit it. I don't know about you, friends, but I need Jesus more today than I've ever needed him. I'm older now. I'm a pensioner now. I haven't got my bus pass yet. I haven't applied for it yet, but I need to. But you know, as you get older, the problems mount up. More so especially in health. Because your old bodies, they begin to fall apart. They weren't built to last forever. But the day is coming when a new body, we will receive a new body. Hallelujah. Are you looking forward to that day? A new body, friends. No more aches, no more pains, no more walking sticks, no more rollators, no more wheelchairs, no more glasses, no more hearing aids, and all the rest of it. Why is it, dear, if you take away our glasses and our hearing aids and the sticks and all the rest of it, what are we going to do? Oh. <laughs> it's fall. <laughs> but you know, friends, we have something wonderful, something special to look forward to. And friends, we need Jesus more today than we ever needed him. Because the forces of darkness and the forces of evil are gaining momentum. And people treat sin today as a plaything. They say, oh, it's just a sickness. Oh, it's just a weakness. Oh, it's just the way I am. Yes, that's true. It is just the way we are. It's pure, unadulterated sin in the human heart and life. And did Jeremiah not say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Who shall know it? Only God looks in the heart. Only God knows what's in the heart. I wonder what's in our hearts today. Have we a faith to cry out to God, to look to him, to confess our sins, to ask him for his forgiveness? To allow him to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. That he might direct our footsteps and lead us. But let's look again at this. I lifted mine eyes into the hills and whence cometh my help. Is the hills going to help you? Certainly not. Because scripture says, all of creation groaneth for God's salvation. The earthquake in Haiti. The fires in uh, Greece and in America, the volcanoes, all of creation is groaning for God's salvation. And friends, we too need a groan for God's salvation. But remember, it's not looking onto the hills. Jeremiah 3 and 23 says, Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So what's the writer in Psalm 121 saying? He says, I am looking to the creator who made the hills. I am looking to the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, the God of salvation. That's who I'm looking to. He is the one 
who can deliver me because he says from whence comes my help our help Lord, friends comes from the God of all creation and this man had a definite faith he trusted the living God he trusted the God of creation do we friends have we truly placed our lives in God's hands today? Do you have that faith to believe in the midst of all the circumstances you are going through, the difficulties that you're facing, do you still have the faith to believe? You know, I talk to some Christians and some, some of them say to me, I think I'm saved. Or, I hope I'm saved. Or, I might be saved. But, Lord, friends, my Bible says that faith is not a hope-so faith. Faith is a sure-I-know faith. Because it says in Romans 8 and 16, The Spirit itself witnesseth with our spirits that we are the children of God. That's what Paul writes to Romans. We are the children of God. Say amen to that. Amen. You're a child of God today. He's your heavenly father. He knows your need. He can meet that need. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no maybes, there's no hope so, there's no possibly. It's a certainty. It's a definite. We have a hope that is steadfast and sure. And it's in the living God of heaven and earth. Now that's settled. As God's children adopted into this family. Surely we can look to our heavenly father. And we can have that assurance. That is where our help comes from. And as the writer of this psalm continues. He tells us of the help that he receives. Micah uh, chapter 7 verse 7 says Therefore I will look unto the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation My God will hear me Does your heavenly father hear you? Yes he does Trust him And here the writer he says He is the Lord He is the creator of all things and that he depends totally and completely upon him. Now if God is, so, is powerful enough to create all things. He is powerful enough to sustain all things. He, sustain, he has sustained this world for all these thousands of years. And if he's able to sustain this world. Surely he's able to sustain your life. He's able to sustain my life. So look at the declarations of this. A writer says, he says, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He says, the Lord is my keeper in verse 5. He says, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul in verse 7. He says in verse 8, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in. Friends, in all these verses we see something of God's providence. And the reality that God is in control. 
All the different governments of our world, they like to think that they are in power. Do you know something? They're only there because God allows them. That's all. Ultimately, God is in control. We also see God's care for his children. We see how he speaks of his love and of his mercy. And then we also see God's overshadowing. He is our helper. I see it upon thy right hand. Psalm 121. Now how can I make that practical for you today? Well you see friends. It was believed that Psalm 121 was penned during the reign of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah was in Jerusalem and the Assyrian army, they were on their march. They were taking all the territories around them. And the Assyrians under King Sennacherib were a cruel, wicked people. A cruel people. And they were taking all the people, they were deporting them away to Assyria, they were put into slavery and whatever else as well, and they were slaughtering all around them. And King, he uh, King Hezekiah, he cries out to God, because you see, King Hezekiah had a faith. And as King Hezekiah cries out, he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Now remember, friends, in those days, in those hills, there was idolatry. There was the high places. There was the idol worship. But Hezekiah had sought to stamp out all the idolatry within the land. He had sought to establish the living God as, as the living God of Israel. And so Hezekiah cries out to the awe-inspiring hills that God had created. And he declares that God is his all-sufficient help. And this is what he says. He says, the Lord is my keeper. In other words, friends, he'll take care of you, whatever the situation or circumstance. Hezekiah believed it. He'll take care of the problems of weariness. He knows how easy it is for you or me to slip. That's what it says in, one, in verses 3 and 4. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He knows whenever we slip, whenever we fall. But if you cry out to him, he can lift you up. He can set you on your feet again. He's not a tyrant to punish you. He's a heavenly fellow to love you, to encourage you, and to give you strength and grace. And Hezekiah believed that. Hezekiah saw that. So we sometimes slip, and sometimes we sleep. But friends, he's not a God who slumbers or sleeps. He's watching over you. During the Second World War in the Blitz of London, Part of London was bombed very, very heavily. And after one of the bombing raids, the people uh, were searching through the rubble and they were trying to find out who was missing and they were trying to pull out all the people from under the rubble and uh, finding who was dead and who was alive and so on. 
and they counted all the people and they discovered there was one woman missing a Mrs. Smith and so they found Mrs. Smith's home and it was badly damaged but there uh, they searched through the home they went into her bedroom and there was Mrs. Smith sleeping away as content as could be they woke her up and they said to her Mrs. Smith what are you doing here? And Mrs. Smith said, well, she says, it says in my Bible, the God of Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So there was no point in me sitting up whenever he was awake and he can watch over me. Childlike faith, friends. Even in an old age pensioner. That's the sort of faith we need. Childlike faith. Neither slumbers nor sleeps. So he deals with the problem of our weariness. He deals with the problem of our weakness. Do you know that you're vulnerable? We all are. We're vulnerable to health issues. We're we're vulnerable to temptations. We're vulnerable vulnerable to the different problems that we face because then we begin to doubt God's love and grace and mercy. And yet God never changes. He's the same always. And he always will be the same. I am vulnerable on all sides. And yet the Lord is my keeper. He is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. You can have sunstroke or moonstroke. Did you know that? Sunstroke is a killer. I don't know if you ever remember Reverend John Packard. His daughter went to California. She went out for a walk with her husband one day. They travelled too far and had enough water. Sunstroke killed her. Just in her early 50s. Sunstroke got her. You know, friends, sunstroke is a killer, but God can protect us. And then moonstroke. In the olden days, they used to believe that the moon affected people. In fact, they used to say that uh, in some uh, asylums that whenever it came to the full moon, the people were very, very agitated and very, very angry. I have a grandson who's ADHD, and I know that whenever it comes to the full moon, he's more difficult to work with. You may find that strange, but it is true. Minstrel. It does affect. But here... The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. In other words, God is going to watch over you at all seasons. At all seasons. In your childhood years, in your teen years, in your young adult years, in your full adult years, in your old age, right up to the moment you die. God is going to watch over you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You have enough to worry about today. So don't bring tomorrow's problems into today's life. Let tomorrow look after itself. And let Jesus look after you today. Because each day he will look after you. Then we see also that he'll protect you with the problem of wickedness. Verse 7. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. 
he shall preserve thy soul. The problem of wickedness. And I don't have to remind you of all the wickedness we have seen over this past week. The number of young children that have been murdered. We are in a wicked, cruel world, friends. And we need to trust our God. And then lastly, the problem of waywardness. Verse 8. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That, friends, is a declaration of Hezekiah's faith, if that was written at that particular time. As I said, there's a debate about it, but it fits right into Hezekiah's time. Because as Hezekiah declared his faith and trust in God, what did God do? He delivered the children of Israel from the Assyrians. God wiped the Assyrian army out. And because Hezekiah loved God and declared God, uh, faith in God, God delivered him and set him free. I'll give you an exercise as we close. Why not go home and learn Psalm 121 off by heart? You know, sometimes when I go to bed at night, that's a psalm that I would recite to myself as I go to sleep. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel, neither slumber nor sleep. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the wind by night. And so on and so on. May God bless his truth to all our hearts this morning as we give him praise because he is a God who cares for us.